Ordered Three Games podcast for uh, early February. Welcome to February. My name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week is not the Talos Principle. Hmm. Well, Tom, um, my name is Matt Peckham, and my game of the week is not Buried. My name is Stephen Totillo, and my game of the week is not Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. Oh, poor Assassin's Creed. Uh, Stephen, you are here from Kotaku. Uh, welcome. I really appreciate you joining us. Matt, you are a return guest from uh, Time.com. You guys have both reviewed The Witness. Uh, I love your reviews. You guys are both, I would say, enamored of the game, very fond of it. You... Uh, wrote some, some interesting things that I'm eager to talk about. Uh, and I want to start by asking both of you, and uh, we'll start with you, Matt. What makes this game more than being simply missed? Uh, and, and is it? Is this more than just missed? And if so, what makes it more than just a missed clone, basically? Matt, you go You go first, I wanna, and then I want to get you to jump in, Stephen. Oh wow! Okay, that's a that's a big one. I think it is. I, I, I'm I'm maybe gonna uh, I'm, I'm maybe gonna parrot a little bit what Jonathan has said about this, just because it, that's it. May, having played it, it's what makes sense. I, I I think I see what he was getting at when he said that he was inspired by Mist, but that he wanted to get away from the the uh, the issue in Mist where so much of the puzzle work in that game revolved around point and click pixel hunting. Uh, you know, sort of not necessarily intuitive environmentally grounded uh puzzles they were they weren't all all connected to each other and you know learning how to solve one puzzle in mist um was not uh a, a mechanism for teaching you how to solve another puzzle whereas everything i just said about mist i think i you know could argue is the opposite in in uh, the witness uh, jonathan wanted to create an experience that was you know puzzle driven but where the puzzles are are teaching you a, sort of a grammar, right? Without, with completely nonverbal, you know, no language, um, a kind of a different language, I suppose. I don't know. I'm thinking of all the language theorists that would say, "Oh, it's still a language, or whatever." But you know, regardless, I, I um, actually agree. I found myself at one point wanting to describe it as, as nonlingual and thinking, "Oh, no, no, it's nonverbal. It's not nonlingual, but it's definitely nonverbal." Yeah. Oh, that's great. I like that. Yeah. Well, well so you, there. So there's my. You, yeah. you actually did that. I'm just quoting. You, you said you did the same thing that I did with my thought process. You started to say. Non-lingual and it's non-verbal. Yeah, uh, Stephen, how would how would you answer that if someone comes to you and they're like, "Hey, this looks a lot like Mist. What makes this any better or different from Mist?" Oh, did I was answering the whole time, but in the form of drawing a line. Did you guys not? <laughs> <laughs> so you can't be non-verbal on a podcast, Stephen. I'm afraid it doesn't read very well. But yeah, <laughs> you you asked whether the game is or isn't a, a clone of Mist, and uh, before I answer, Tom, I'm just curious. Do you consider Braid to be a clone of Super Mario Brothers? Ah, that's an excellent question. Um, mechanically, yes. Uh, in terms of the content being delivered, uh, no, not at all. Is that fair? Is that like a? Is that feel like dodging the question? Well, I think that they're similar. I think they're very yeah, similar. And yeah. in both cases, the references are not uh, deeply buried. And I don't – a clone is often seen as a pejorative term. And if I'm identifying Blow and his team at Thecla as having made a game that similarly to Braid shows its reference material um, quite prominently, I don't see that as inherently uh, a bad thing. And I appreciated – 
the witness as a new riff on what mist was doing i mean you see both of those game islands from afar and it certainly seems like it's you know intentionally a visual reference even from how, from how the the islands are structured so he's quoting it he's um he's building atop it but what i really like that he's doing is creating that puzzle system that is building upon itself bit by bit. I know that some people have been disappointed that The Witness doesn't incorporate the island into the puzzles as much as they'd wanted to and as much as they feel successfully as they feel that Mist did. What I think that The Witness is doing superbly, though, is building all of its puzzles on top of its other puzzles, where everything is layered on top of itself to the point that you really do feel like you're going through uh, an educational curriculum and you're, you're in grad school by the time you're you're near the end of that game. Now, uh, if people don't like, like, like if someone comes to you and says, yeah, I didn't like Myst, uh, that's not really my kind of game, should I play The Witness? Like, like Matt, I know you, for instance, in your review, said you wouldn't hesitate to recommend it to, a, a, I think, a casual player. Like, you felt that uh, it, it, people shouldn't be scared away by thinking it's too difficult. Uh, I get the sense that, Matt, you would think, even if someone didn't like Myst, they should maybe give this a shot. Uh, yeah. So, so explain that a little bit. If, if then, this is kind of Jonathan riffing on Mist, uh, using those mechanics to a different end. Why would someone who didn't like Mist maybe enjoy The Witness? Well, let me, in terms of, let me use maybe an example. Hopefully, this won't take too long to tell this little story. But a little story about something that happened to me while I was playing the game. Um, because the complexity level, a lot of people, you know, hop into a game like this, any number of puzzle games, and they hit that first puzzle that they can't get through, and they, they beat their head against the wall, and then they give up, and then they never come back to the game, and that's it. That's the end of the experience. So it's very risky what he's doing here. You know, talk about that aspect of it. To create a game that a lot of people are going to jump into, and then bam, they're going to, going to step away from it. Um, but I had, a, I had a thing where I got, well into the game, and I was learning, you know, the the vocabulary that, that you know you and Stephen are, are talking about, and and I hit a point where I just could not get past um, uh, one puzzle, and I, I sat there for literally not exaggerating here about seven hours of, of real time in front of this puzzle, uh, you know, off and on, just hammering away at it, couldn't get through it. I did not want to hint, and uh, and finally talking to Jonathan uh, on the phone, asked him uh, for a hint. Uh, and he offered to solve it for me. I said, no, 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 just, just a hint. And he said, well, have you done this thing over here in this area yet? And I said, no, that's the one area that I haven't, you know, it was just, it was almost sort of like, well, okay, I'm stupid because I didn't go over to this area. And he went over to the area. I did it. Uh, I sort of figured out how to, what it was, what it was trying to teach me. I came back to that puzzle and it took me less than 30 seconds to solve that, what I'd been sitting there, you know, hammering for seven hours. I think that the magnitude and the power of what the game is doing and, and giving you that ability, showing you how you can hit a wall with something, you know, this metaphorical and literal. And then you go over here and you just shift your perspective slightly and bam, you know, and then you move right on through it. So that's maybe a long-winded answer. I hope that kind of got at it. I, I, I love how both of you had talked in, when you're in writing about, about your own experiences. And, and oddly enough, both of you confessed to contacting Jonathan about, uh, about a particular puzzle that you were stuck on. Uh, Stephen, I love that you posted a screenshot of the one that you were stuck on because anybody who has played The Witness will look at that screenshot and go, well, duh. <laughs> I mean, it just seems so... It's such a part of what the game has taught you. You can't get very far into The Witness without being able to look at that screenshot and think, how did Stephen miss that? Uh, 
So uh, I, I love that both of you have those anecdotes about how it's Jesus. I feel like I'm being mocked. No, 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 because I think you know that you – I mean you posted it because you realize that, right? That, that anybody who's played The Witness would look at that and think, well, yeah, that's obvious, right? Like, It was obvious to me, right, as soon as yeah. I, I sent him the email of it. Uh, as mentioned in my review, right, three minutes later, I'm sending him a follow-up email. Never mind. I figured this one out. There's something about uh, breaking your thoughts down on paper and, and ex- articulating your conundrum that then helps you, you crystallize and solve it. Yeah. And surely you realize how, how funny that screenshot is to those of us who's, who played the witness. I mean, it's ridiculous. I, I can't help but look at that and go, I, I'm almost mentally wanting to put my screen, my finger on the screen of your, your screenshot and just trace yeah. the obvious path. Uh, yeah. So... Uh, so, so it does. So the, the difficulty level is something I want to talk about because, you know, Matt, when you say I spent seven hours thinking about this puzzle, the average person who plays almost any video game or who doesn't play video games is going to run screaming from that comment. Um, <laughs> but, but I think what you've touched on, and what I, as a guy who didn't like The Witness, by the way, what I would say is one of its strong points for people who might not like Mist, um, for people who might be worried about the difficulty level is the open world structure, is that when you get stuck, there's 20 places where you're not stuck. Uh, and, and eventually, one of those 20 places is probably going to unstick you from this place. Uh, so it's not so much that it's forgiving or easy, uh, but there's always some place to go. You know, the, Instead of there being one dead end, like in the Talos Principle, you know, that puts you into courtyards with lots of puzzles, and you'll solve as many as you can. But if you get stuck at one of them, you're not going anywhere. Um, and I, I love the, wit- the way the witness subverts that structure and gives you this GTA style, you know, go whatever you want, wherever you want, do whatever you want. Uh, and how both of you guys have restarted the game, I think. Uh, so it must be relatively easy to jump into the game, not have to do a lot of the busy work, and just go directly where you want to go, right? Yeah, I mean, the game is made for sequence breaking. I mean, uh, Jonathan Blow has talked a lot about his disinterest or maybe even disdain for a lot of the trappings of traditional video game design. He's not into collectibles and scheduled rewards and what have you. And I suspect he's also not that interested in uh, forcing down, forcing the player down specific paths. I get the sense also that, for me, what The Witness is about is it's about knowledge. It's about knowing things, learning things, but also developing a comfort with not knowing things. So the idea of being stumped by a puzzle and knowing have, knowing in the back of your mind it's okay to be stumped because I can go somewhere else and eventually I'll figure it out, to me is core to what the game is about. Uh, Tom, you were talking in your review that you were craving more of a sense of, I think, story or interaction with the island and you didn't like the island's sterility um, or passivity or disregard for the player. But I actually found the game very relaxing, paradoxically, despite how difficult some of the puzzles can be. Because to me, the game is more of a philosophical tract than it is a narrative. And it's one that is encouraging or trying to instill in the player, at least for me, a sense of relaxation and trust that knowledge can be ascertained simply through not trying too hard to learn things, but simply to experience and discover, uh, dare I say, witness what's happening around you. And I, I love, too, for the most part, how that that bears up, Stephen, and I agree with that, but there were there were times, and we'll get into these in a little bit, there were times I kind of felt like that trust was violated, and, mm. and, and partly it was because I didn't 
either learned something well enough or I learned the wrong thing or I mm. didn't learn the entirety of a thing. I actually emailed both of you at one point uh, about uh, the, the stars. I was like, I don't understand what the stars are doing. And uh, y- you, I think, Stephen, like I, I realized that there had been a part of the treehouse that teaches you the stars that I hadn't seen yet. Um, and mm. I didn't realize it was there. Uh, I, I was at a point where I was like, you know, here's what I'm supposed to learn about the stars. I feel like this is the tutorial area. Uh, obviously, I wasn't supposed to be there yet. Uh, so th- there were times that I, there, there is that trust and there is that relaxation. But the times that that was violated or that got something wrong, um, that maze puzzle, for instance, where there are no visual cues, some of the sound puzzles that come up, uh, I, I just had a, a few too many moments where it just really felt unfair to me. Uh, and we'll get into some specifics of that in a minute. Uh, so, so still in non-spoiler terms, uh, without if you're listening and you haven't gotten very far through it, don't worry. We'll warn you before we're going to uh, spoil anything. Uh, I, I want to hear from both of you because I think this is always fun to talk to other people. Uh, and I know, Matt, you mentioned this in your review. What tools... Like, what physical things, obviously you're going to end up having to use a pad of paper. What physical things have you guys had to marshal to play the witness? Oh, God, Lord. I, I, uh, I, I've I never wanted more for graph paper and wished that uh, that, that, that my partner here had some. Um, she's a survey methodologist, but that doesn't intersect with her career. So I had no graph paper. You had no and- graph paper. That seems insane to me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no graph paper. So, so doing this on a college-ruled notepad, but yeah, just pages and pages of, of doodling badly, um, you know, to try and help. So much of, of, of figuring things out is being able to look at it in ways, and this this is maybe a, a minor criticism of the game. It is limited, and, you know, maybe, Jonathan, if you were here, he could counter-argue and say, well, no, that's all intentional, the limitations, but it is limited in terms of how many ways and how many positions and how many places that you can approach a thing. Um, and so it requ- for me anyway, it required that I stepped away from the experience and brought other physical objects. The one that, the one that sticks to mind, the one that I wrote about in the review, is that I got a, a piece of white paper and, and, and cut it into you know, little squares. This isn't spoiling anything. Most of the, the screens involve you know, grids, grid work of some sort or another, and was, was taking a secondary sheet of, of cutout squares and arranging them around on the, on the paper to try and see something that I couldn't. I could, you know what? This is something I'd be curious. Both you, Tom, and Stephen, you may be better at this than I am. Some people can play chess blindfolded. Ugh. They hold mental maps. I cannot. Um, I would imagine somebody who can do that wouldn't need the aids. And I, I, I'm not. Sh- I'm curious what uh, what that was like for you guys. Yeah, Stephen, were you? Uh, I know you referenced. I think a, a sheets of paper. Did you have to do mm-hmm. anything beyond that? Uh, I use my phone. I use. I played oh, right, on PlayStation. Right. I, I played on the PlayStation Four. And I used uh, its ability to screen cap why the phone wasn't sufficient and why I used that. I'll leave to people's imagination. Um, I did not use a jar full of urine. Um, what? What, what is that's an Andre Serrano reference? What is that? What is, <laughs> that's a John Blow reference. He, he tweeted a photo of a jar of oh, liquid. I know uh, what you're talking about now. Did, did yeah. Stephen, did you did you are you is that a thing that you've experienced? 
<laughs> not not outside of the game, but in the in the game or, or no? Uh, va- vaguely, and I don't I quite understand um, if there's anything. We we can talk more in the spoiler okay. yep. section of it, but uh, yeah, I'm just trying to be topical, guys. <laughs> um, but the most useful uh, physical apparatus that I used for the solving of the games uh, beyond a PlayStation Four controller were other human beings. Um, I did not have them contort themselves into lines or anything like that. But um, a number of times I found it was incredibly useful to have a second person come by. And it was interesting, the range of people and what they were able to lend to it. So uh, our deputy editor, Kotaku, Kirk Hamilton, is a musician. And that is his first love. And he plays all sorts of instruments. And he was in town and I was having trouble with certain puzzles that I thought somebody with a musical ear might be able to help with. And he sat down and was able to listen carefully to things that were uh, giving me some trouble in the game. And I found that uh, really useful. My wife tutors some uh, some boys who are in high school, and they um, are they sat down. I kind of restarted the game for them. I wanted to know what their experience was going to be like, and they're brothers, and so they have sort of sibling rivalry and camaraderie and what have you. And it was extraordinary to watch the two of them figure out this completely weird video game for them. I mean, they're more into FIFA and Halo and stuff like that, and watching them figure out a kind of game that they never play. Uh, didn't teach me any new solutions to puzzles, but gave me an appreciation for how the game was teaching and how the game was misdirecting and challenging you and confounding your learning curves. Um, so, yeah, and then I think I brought my wife into the room a couple times to take a fresh eye on a puzzle that I was having trouble with. That people. I- that, yeah, that idea of people as a resource is, is great, Stephen, yeah. because I, I I can vividly distinguish in my mind the difference between the times I was trying to solve something alone and the times I was trying to solve something where there was someone else in the room with me, either watching me or helping me. Uh, or in some cases, like your your school boys, uh, when I pressed someone into service, like here, sit down with this, let me show you this, when really I just wanted them to try to solve one of the puzzles I couldn't <laughs> solve. Yeah. Uh, my One of the things I ended up doing... Uh, Matt, you mentioned uh, using paper. I finally sat down with – we have in our refrigerator these little Scrabble tiles. You know, you've seen them before. They're little magnetic tiles. People spell things on the refrigerator. Uh, at one point with Tetris-shaped puzzles, I was like, okay, I need to get little blocks that I can move around. I went and I got the little tiles and I put them on a tabletop, and I was arranging them. But they kept like – the magnets, some of them would push each other away, and they kept being messy. So I, I decided, okay – I'm actually going to have to do some arts and crafts. I went and got an old deck of playing cards. I got a marker and a ruler and made a grid shape on the playing cards and cut out actual physical Tetris pieces uh, that I could arrange and and, and turn uh, and fit together. Uh, And those were actually a regular fixture on the coffee table in the living room where I was playing the game. Uh, And, of course, graph paper. Uh, Stephen, did you use graph paper? I used lined notebook paper, so six of one, half does the other, because I would then draw the vertical line. Right, 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 so. exactly. And that, that to me, like the graph paper, once the graph paper came in, it, it was literally like the difference between – it was like a UA feature for me. Like once I had graph paper, things got way less frustrating for me mm. in terms of having to draw the vertical lines. Uh, it was super easy to sort of – I even kind of developed my own la- language in terms of like what different notations to use for the entrance and the exit – and a possible line versus an actual line. And, yeah, so I've ended up with lots of written material for this. Um, that, 
Oh, I'm sorry. Could I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. jump in here. Steve, Stephen, just a, 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 I find that fascinating that you mentioned the thing about Kirk. Um, I, he and I share a thing, and that that's that's my first love. That's what I'd be doing if if I if I could find a way to monetize it. And and I was as I was playing, I noticed I I have uh, just by training I have near perfect pitch. And as I was, oh, you, you jerk! Know, oh, I hate you! I hate you so much. <laughs> as I was playing, as I was playing the game, uh, I, I I was thinking about that. And you know, there are the audio things, there are the color things, and I know it sounds like we both. I think I read you a piece that you published on Kotaku. I think we both asked Jonathan Bull the same question. I didn't write about it, but I, I think you did about some of that stuff. I, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about, about some of that. That was Kirk who wrote about the sort of uh, symphonic oh, design. No, that's fine. He wrote about the symphonic design of, of the game. I can't really speak to it. Um, but Well, there, I, there's like I'm, I'm, I'm not literally tone deaf, but those things where you're supposed to distinguish whether something the pitch is higher or lower – I had a real hard time with that and ended up having to brute force through some of those. Um, if you're colorblind, I, I think you physically couldn't play uh, The Witness. Like, Yeah, I interviewed him. I talked to Jonathan about that earlier this week. Uh, there are some puzzles that give people... There's a, a sequence involving an elevator in the bunker section where um, the way the puzzle is illuminated under blue light is very hard for people to distinguish between some blue and purple squares. So I emailed Jonathan, or his PR people, about it, because uh, I'd seen Jeff Gersman, the lead reviewer over Giant Bomb, and said that he'd had trouble but managed to get through it. And Jonathan said that they were aware that people who had certain types of colorblindness would not be able to get through certain puzzles, and that they decided that uh, rather than exclude those puzzles from the game, because they're very complicated, it wouldn't have simply been a matter of, I think, changing certain squares, right. colors. Right. Um, rather than exclude those, they made those sections optional. And he said, uh, which I thought was a nice touch, um, that they actually tried to make a puzzle that would work only if you were colorblind. So that there, are so, <laughs> there are so many variations of colorblindness that that wouldn't have... Uh, worked now wait because that little color bunker activates a, a laser is that is that optional there's more it, it's we're well, on the spoiler ahead, section ahead. folks we're in the quasi very light spoiler section i guess well i think everyone do do folks know that uh okay so yeah here we go light spoilers if maybe you haven't played it if you're only a couple of puzzles in you you might want to uh go ahead and bail right now uh and we'll warn you before we get into more advanced spoilers um, but my understanding was you have to turn on – and Matt, actually, I think you mentioned this to me. So you don't have to turn on all the lasers. Like that bunker turns on all, a laser, but I was assuming that meant it was mandatory. No. Well, there's a there's – a, and this – this yeah, I'll try and talk elliptically about this. But in terms of the, the way the arrows point through your experience of the game, um, there's more than one arrow. And the the requirements to see you know where those arrows are going are different. Um, I don't know that even Jonathan. I mean, certainly Jonathan probably hasn't said. I don't know that anybody really has has even posited yet which of the arrows may or may not be more important. Whether that's even a, a term that you would use to describe it in terms of you know importance or non-importance. But there is a way to go through at least one arrow um, uh, without you know turning on all of the the other things that uh, are going on on the island. <laughs> I don't know what Matt is talking about, but you do not, you don't need to do all the yellow things in order to get to the end sequence of the game, but it's probably just like the baby ending. Now this kind of, oh, the baby ending, oh, that, uh, Steve, I mean, that's I, what I did. I, I don't think it's a baby. Oh, it's not 2001. If people are thinking this is 2001, there's no monolith. 
Well, they're kind of our monoliths, though. But there's, as far as I know. Oh, very good. You're right. Yeah. There's no, there's no baby. No, I just mean the basic ending. That's, uh, that's the only. No, no, I know, I know, and that, I, I, I resemble that remark. So yeah, I'm sure that's what I hit. Yeah, I, I doubt I, I delved very far. Um, and and that also, in a way, kind of makes me mad because if I were colorblind, there's nothing that communicates to me that this was optional. Um, and I would think, oh, I can't play this game. I'm, I'm excluded. Like I seem to, I believe, yes, I believe part of the game's vocabulary is that any puzzle that has a red panel is optional. At least that's, that's an understanding I came away from playing with. Uh, and I don't rem- and, and it seemed to me that those color things, those, I never got the sense those were optional. I kind of love hearing that maybe they were, um, that, or Stephen, you say that they were, uh, but I wish the game had told me that, uh, along with a few other things that I didn't know or that I learned wrong. I, I can confirm what Stephen's saying in mm-hmm. that, in terms of in terms of getting up to the point where you know where something happens that allows you to uh, uh, allows you passage um, to you know to to a to a place you haven't been, right? And and such because um, I did not the the bunker was one that I did not get. Uh, it was not one of the initial. Uh, things that I figured out in order to get to that sequence. So I didn't have it figured out either and went all the way through to the end of this thing and then had to circle back um, and, you know, to go to this other thing, to go do some of these other things. But so, yeah, it is it's optional in that sense. Well, here, too, both of you also mentioned in your review when you talked about uh, contacting Jonathan, you, you both mentioned, you know, this is a luxury the average player doesn't have. But but reading that, it, it kind of occurred to me because I was in the same boat too, by the way, is we were playing the game before it was out, so I couldn't just Google, you know, bunker, color, laser, and then get a walkthrough on YouTube. Uh, we were stuck playing this before it was in the public. But now that it's been in the wild, I, I imagine nobody has to... Like, we were worried, you know, you guys mentioned you can't contact Jonathan and ask him a question. On the contrary, people who have it now have it easier. Like, you could, I imagine, you could just find a YouTube video of the shortest path to the ending of The Witness. It's got to be out there by now. Uh, and not have to solve any of the puzzles yourself, I'm guessing. Um, you know, we live in a time where it used to be, in, in my day, you had to figure out a game or you wouldn't you wouldn't finish it. Uh, or, you would some you know, some games you could call this 1-900 number and get hints. Uh, but these days, nobody ever has to be stuck in The Witness. Uh, how do you guys feel about that? That we were forced to play it in a way that other people weren't. I liked playing it that way. I, I, and some people think that forty dollars is too much for the game. So here's the proposal: Ugh. they could have had a free option called the NDA option, where if you wanted it for free, you just had to sign an NDA that you'd never talk about it. <laughs> that would decrease the amount of spo- potential spoilers in the world, which would make the experience better for everybody. But then it would allow some people to get the game for free. What do you think? I, I, you know, it's a business decision. I couldn't care less what they charge. I, I always feel that that's, I hate it when people bring that up, uh, but I love your idea, Stephen. That's, that's fantastic. Uh, I, I asked Jonathan that question when I was talking to him. I said, are you, are you sad in a way that, you know, or, or how do you feel about that, that you know, as soon as the game's out there in the wild, I mean, it was such a wonderful privilege in a way as someone who got to play it before it was out there. There was nowhere to look other than to ask Jonathan for one hint, you know, the, the, uh, I said, how do you feel about this? And he said, you know, if somebody decides to go out there and watch a Twitch feed or, or YouTube it or, you know, gaff it or, or Reddit, Reddit it, 
uh, that's the you know that's the choice, that's the decision they're 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 going to make, and that's the you know the experience they're going to have. And he was, was trying to be kind, but you know Jonathan doesn't generally pull any punches, and I think he was essentially saying you know if you want to ruin the experience, it's it's not. It's not meant to be, you know, spoiled. It's meant to be worked over. You're meant to take right. a break and go take six hours and go sleep and do something else and watch a movie and read a book and think about it and then come back. Um, that's all part of having, I, I think anyway, that's all part of what I think he's trying to do here. Well, it really is now for folks who have it. It's it's like having a book of crossword puzzles or riddles or a, a study book where all the answers are in the back. And if you want to look it's at the answers in the back, you can't. Yeah, it is unavoidable, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, all right. So, still in light spoiler territory. Uh, don't give away too much. But for players who might have sort of run around and seen bits of the island, uh, I'm curious, what if anything was a, was a pain point for you guys? So we, we talked uh, briefly about the, the tone puzzles, where you have to hear different pitches. Uh, Steven, you and I had a problem with that because we're not perfect like Matt Peckham here. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, were, what were some pain points for you guys, uh, and, and being relatively specific, uh, so again, mild spoilers, what drove you guys batty, if anything? Lining up the camera correctly. So for light spoiler territory, people know that you can draw lines in the world. Uh, and sometimes I was sure that the camera was pointed in the right direction, just the right way to let me draw a line into the world, and it wouldn't take. Or I'd get, like, the sparkles indicating that I was, like, partially there. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they're locking your movement at the time that you're trying to draw the line, I found too frustrating. And I think they should have allowed the player to be able to shimmy their body around a little bit. I don't know. Well, uh, that I, I wondered about that too, Stephen, because there are... There are some of the little perspective tricks where I was thinking, oh, my God, if I could only crouch a millimeter. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that's kind of a requirement for making those puzzles work is that you you are limited where you can move. Um, like there are things in your way that you can't duck under or you can't lean your head into a gap, for instance. Uh, right. Which uh, – yeah, hugely frustrating at times. But as I got, as I played more and more, I was like, okay, I realize now why you can't, you know, lean, for instance, why there's no yeah, lean button. Yeah, there, there were some in the uh, in the marsh area where you can be lower than the water level that I had particularly pro particular problems with. But maybe on my next playthrough, they'll be easier. But that was frustrating. And then I really did not like the desert section. Uh, and if if this game is a reference to other things. Players who remember the worst section of Ocarina of Time might be wondering if Jonathan Blow is homaging it with the desert section. Now, that that was one where, Matt, you had to basically tell me, because I, I wasn't even able to get started on those puzzles. So, Matt, you kind of had to basically tell me what to do to get those started. Uh, that was also uh, difficult for me. Sorry, go ahead, I, Matt. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I, I Some of these things I should point out, like, like you know, probably 90% of me what i figuring out how to play this game um was you know was accidental uh it, it, to get started like in the de you know in the, in the desert temple stuff figuring out how to do some of those things it just it was an accident i mean i didn't i didn't figure it out i didn't game it i wasn't smart about it um i mean i guess i had kind of figured out at that point that if you if you perspective is a is a crucial component of everything in in this game but uh yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I think you know, Stephen. You're I, I would just kind of reinforce Stephen's point to talk about things that that I found a little bit picky because if 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 it's true in fact that that Jonathan is 
trying to get away from some of the, the, the pixel puzzly kind of things that missed that he thinks missed did so so poorly. Um, there is a little still a bit of that here in that some of the things that you know without naming them that Stephen that you're talking about where that perspective thing is going on. If you were in a so-called natural world environment, you wouldn't be, you know, probably I can't imagine you'd be, you know, moving your head, uh, you know, like a millimeter to try and, you know, you would see it. And and I think uh, I think there is an aspect of finickiness to to some of that 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 you know maybe it's just it's the limitation of where we're at in terms of how we are able to design games, but it feels like maybe yeah. some of that still is there in, in The Witness. I do feel, though, that that gets to the intricacy of some of the puzzles and their solutions. Like, if you didn't have that finickiness, Matt, like, there wouldn't be the level of gratification for solving the puzzle. Uh, mm. Like, it's sort of like you have to... You have to line. It's on a on a much more intricate scale. It's the same as like lining up that perfect piece drop in Tetris. Like you just have to get it just right, and it just makes it all the more gratifying when it does line up. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It can be so frustrating to get that set up. And there are times when I kind of know the vocabulary and what I need to say, but I'm not quite clear on how I'm supposed to say it. Uh, and that's more of a vague overall frustration. Uh, and part of the learning process. Um, the the issue, though, to synthesize what the two of you are talking about is, mm-hmm. Tom, in Tetris, everything you're doing is digital. You don't have you don't move a piece sure, on right. Tetris halfway there. The grid puzzles in the witness they're digital as well for the most part, and that's why they work better with the D pad on a controller than an analog stick. What? Uh, oh my example. God! I never. That never occurred to me to use the D-pad. Yeah, oh, man, Jesus. You'll, you'll make a, a, a many fewer wrong turns that way. Oh my and God! The, uh, but the, uh, the 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 perspective puzzles are analog, or at least they suggest right. an analog input and an analog perspective in terms of lining them up, in terms of getting, get looking at things just so. That's incremental movement until you see yourself in the right position. So it feels contrary, or at least cross-purposes, that you have the digital input of locking yourself in place in terms of your your character foot movement, right. or you know, and then moving again. So uh, yeah, those puzzles I feel should the input should be entirely analog. What uh, do I know? Well, here's something, and again, what do I know? But here's something, if I was the producer on The Witness, I would have told Jonathan Blow, you can't have this in there. Take this out. And that is, there are a few puzzles uh, that seem to exist only to frustrate you with flashing overlays or a flashing color. Uh, There were some puzzles that literally felt (laughs) headache-inducing. And I, I was so just like flipping those to the bird. I was like, screw you. I'd, oh, God, I can't wait to get past this. Uh, I hated those. How did you solve them? Uh, how did I, brute, I mean, just sucking it up, I guess. Um, staring at a freaking flashing light for, you know, <laughs> 20 minutes. Screenshot, dude. Screenshot. That's where I use the screenshot tool. You screenshot it, and it oh. just locks itself into one color arrangement, and then you see the answer. Oh, Steve. Now, that is brilliant. That yeah, is why didn't you brilliant. come over to my house and tell me that earlier? <laughs> you call me. Uh, Tom, you got to call me next time when The Witness 2 comes oh, out. Oh, I'm definitely <laughs> taking that. Here, here's another one that uh, – so I – and I imagine a lot of players are like this, and I really appreciate that I could play 99.9999% of The Witness without any time constraints. Um, because I could sit down with a puzzle, I could sit down with my little graph paper, I could take a breather, uh, I could sit back and think about a puzzle, uh, but then those other .0000001% of the time that is time-limited, 
and and I guess I don't. This is a mild spoiler. I think there's only one instance of that. Uh, drove me batty. Like and, there's a bunch. Which one are you talking about? Well, maybe as far as like the end. Like this one is definitely between you and the end of the game. This one is not optional. And I guess. Uh, you know, this is still mild spoiler territory. So you, you're standing on a platform, and the puzzles cycle. So if you don't finish them quickly enough, and you have to do two of them, uh, oh, they okay. refresh. Uh, and to be fair, they're fairly simple. But, you know, my approach so far to all the puzzles had been taking my time. And suddenly, here are two that I have to solve quickly. Uh, and I tried, and I don't know if Jonathan Blow knew that I was going to be doing this, but I tried taking a screenshot, and then you know, not alt-tabbing, but pressing the PlayStation button to get out of the PlayStation, to get out of the game and go to the screenshot gallery and looking at the screenshot and then drawing out the solution and then quickly going back into the game. But I think the game knew that I was pausing because as soon as I got back, the little door shut and it, it gave me a new puzzle. Yeah. Oh, yes. my God, I hated that. Yep. Yep, yep. That's I can confirm that that's that, that the game does know you're pausing, and I can I can I can oh. that has something to do with with the later things. Oh, uh, I'm so. still so mad. Even if <laughs> even if it's somehow narratively relevant, I was so mad at that part. I mean, it, it it eventually just clicks, and you get one that's easy enough where you get both of them. But it was like the equivalent of like in a platform or one of those jumping puzzles where you know you're just one pixel away from hitting where you have to hit, and you just have to do it over and over and over again. Uh, that Did one drove me crazy. Did you guys know the boat can you can go in reverse? You can turn the boat around. What? Yeah. You mean you mean stop it in mid? Yeah. I, mean, I knew you can stop it, yep. but oh, and you just give it a new destination. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. It took me a while. I thought I was basically committed to whatever route I drew when I came out of whatever dock I was on, and I would just miss drawing something. <laughs> so I was going past it. That's what I thought you meant by timing-specific puzzles. And I'd be like, oh, crap, I've sailed past it. I have to go all the way around the island. And then finally I'm like, what happens if I just draw the line in the opposite direction from where I've stopped, and I could turn around and sort of position that's yeah, that's how i that's you just described it you articulated perfectly that's how i did i mean i assume the same thing you did i assumed kind of like missed you're going to start a sequence and it's going to and then you're stuck and uh no yeah i, I think at one point i thought what happens if i because i mean you're, you're sitting on that boat for sometimes depending on where you're going and how fast you're going you can be sitting there for you know two or three minutes so what else are you going to do i bring up the map and right. you start doodling and that's so much of the game is like that it's about it's a little bit about i'm bored or i'm stuck so I'm just going to kind of go doodle something, you know, yeah. figuratively speaking, and then, oh, my God, you know. Here's an example of something that I, I felt the game, that I was kind of mad the game didn't communicate to me. Uh, I, I saw those boats early on. You know, you call it up, and the boat surfaces from the deep, and that's kind of cool. And you're like, oh, there's a, there's a fast travel here. You don't really need it, because I, I like how the island is compact enough. Uh, I never felt like, oh, God, I have to go way over there. Uh, in that regard, it was a it was a pretty tight little muscular design. Like, if I remembered, oh, there's a puzzle in the desert. I was never that far from the desert, but it was kind of cool to see. Hey, there's a little fast travel option. And plus, you know, you see a boat and you're like, I want to ride that. That looks fun. Um, so early on, you call up the boat, you get in the boat, and it isn't. I think it won't activate. Actually, is this even true? So I didn't know. I thought the boats were turned off, and that I was going to have to do something to turn the power on for the boat because there's a map and then there's a little panel to the right that is blacked out and you get used to seeing okay that blacked out panel means this isn't activated yet I have to do something to turn this on to get the little iconography for an interactive an interactable bit um, so for the longest time I thought okay I'll find a puzzle that will activate all the boats and then at one point I got on a boat where I had turned on the laser in that area and I realized oh I can click the map and so from that, I assumed, oh, 
whenever I activate a laser, I now activate the boat from this point. But I'm just now realizing, talking to you guys, are the boats turned on from the very beginning? Oh, boy. I, I think what, almost. You know, Stephen, yeah. I think yeah. The, so. The first place I think most people encounter a dock, at least from what I've seen other people do, including some of the people I work with, is you're in the. Uh, I don't even know what to call it. But you go in and there's a little bit of pottery there on some tables. The artist. Room. A, it's like an artist, a, like an artist works. Yeah, and then yeah. you think you look at like a big washing machine or a kiln or whatever is in the middle of it, yep. and you the hatch opens in the back. This is where you learn the parallel line drawing stuff, uh, the basics, and they um, the back of that house or whatever room opens up. And that's going to be a dock, but I don't think it's functional. And then the next time I think I came across a dock was when I was in the marsh area, and I was able to turn the boat on. And from that point, I think I was able to sail wherever I wanted. But I can't say for sure if I was activating the docks by sailing to them or if they were ready and activated already. I definitely wasn't turned on the first time. Because there's okay, that makes sense. I'm not pulling back on my definitely. I don't know. (laughs) No, no, I think that's right. I think that was my experience. See, and this is funny. This is how subtle it was. I don't, I don't even remember. I mean, I remember that what you're saying, Tom. Like I had forgotten that they were blank. That, and I played it twice. I had forgotten that they were blank. But I think I was the second time I was playing. I was, I was sort of running around and solving the puzzle so, so fast because the. That, you know, you know the grammar, so they're 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 fairly obvious. That whatever you do, like Stephen, you, you know, you say down by by uh, uh, the, the 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 artisan Artist, works, whatever. Yeah. That whatever you do to turn them on, it just happened, and then yeah, I got in, and then I could just you could kind of go anywhere. Well, they're so. blank until you give it a destination, I believe. At which point, it becomes a throttle control. Whereas I right. thought it was right. it was the control to turn on the map. And oh, right, okay, I see what you're saying. I thought you meant uh, the thing that looks like the hook, or I guess it's an outline of a boat that's on the dock itself. Right, because that's, that's always turned on. Exactly, that's always on. You can always call the boat up from the deep, right. and it, it emerges, and then you get in the boat, and you're like the little kid who doesn't have the quarter to put in the mechanical horse, and you're yeah. sitting there making, wanting it to go, and it won't go. Yeah, uh, but I think. I'm guessing it's. Pr- it, it occurs to me now it's probably turned on from the very beginning. Um, that is, you could click on the map like it might be before you know you can interact with things in the world, so you might not know. Oh yeah, I can draw on this map. I, I don't know. Um, well, let, let's get. So uh, we've got a little bit of time left. I am really eager to talk to you guys about some of the in-game stuff, what you feel the meaning is. So if you're playing the witness and you haven't gotten through to what might be described as the end, uh, we are now going to speak from the perspective of people who have gotten through that point. Um, Matt has unlocked a lot of optional content. He's not going to spoil too much of that, but we might hint at some of the things. So even if you aren't averse to mild spoilers, we are now going to talk about what might be construed as more major spoilers. So you have been warned. Uh, So that said, Stephen, I want you to go first. Yeah. What is the point of the witness? What does it all mean? Well, once you get the laser gun, I think it's pretty clear <laughs> what, what it all means. <laughs> For all I know, there is a laser gun, and that's not even a joke. I don't think there's a laser gun in the game. Uh, but what are you drawing those lines with? Um, no. It, it really uh, is. It, to me, it, it's just, and, and our, our mutual friend Tony Carnavale pointed out, it's an iPad. You're just using your finger, right? 
Ah, Tony's being reductive. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He did. By the way, call this in a conversation with me the uh, Apple Store Island. Yes. <laughs> uh, I don't know if Tony realized that there are puzzles in the world itself, or if I had to tell him that. But I'm sure he'll he'll let me know after he's heard this. That is, by the way, a great learning moment when you realize, oh, it's not just drawing on panels. Is this thing exists anywhere? Yeah. There yeah. are a crazy number of those, even in the opening area. Like, did you guys know that when you walk out of the tunnel at the start of the game and you turn around, there's one right there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're talking about the one, the the thing that you do that's kind of... <laughs> I'm talking about... No, 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 no. I'm talking literally as soon as you walk out of the tunnel, not even up gra- above ground. You're still in the dark. You've only drawn one line. Oh. The door in the tunnel. Turn around. Oh, I haven't done that. No, yes. I haven't done that. Okay, you turn okay, around, wow. and the puzzle, that, the tunnel you were just in, is now looks like it's black, and you can see a long line, you know, going into the distance. That's the tunnel you just walked through. You have spoiled it for me, Stephen Tithill. You spoil it. No, that's that's great. <laughs> that's awesome. No, I didn't. I didn't know that. That's that's fantastic. why I really recommend people do a replay because there are you see so many more opportunities for those. And if you don't like them, because, and, and I'll get to answering your question, Tom, if you don't see any point in that, or if you're looking for something more beyond, well, okay, so I just drew a line in the world. Um, what does that tell me about this world? Or why were these puzzles here? Then that's not going to be satisfying. And it really does appeal, I think, more to people who are going to be delighted just to have discovered a hidden thing, or perhaps a hidden thing that was in front of them all along. Uh, Tom, I was saying before, I think the game is about knowledge and it's about knowing things and finding peace and not knowing things and trusting that, uh, trusting in, in both your knowledge and your ignorance. And some of the videos that I've unlocked in the game seem to bear that out, but I don't know. I mean, Matt's played further than I have, so. Well, let me ask you. I know that's all a fake out, and there's some other meaning. Before we throw it, throw it over to Matt, because I I, I suspect he's got uh, some some very specific theories. Um, let me ask you then, Stephen, because I kind of feel the same as you. Uh, is is what the witness is about? Is you know you're talking about it being about learning? Did that change or evolve or in any meaningful way? Uh, uh, I guess have. Any was there any evolution between what the witness is about when you're first sitting down to play it, and what it's about when you get to the quote unquote end? Like what you're talking about, Stephen, could I have just gotten that from playing it for 30 minutes, or is there something that the witness does for me after I've played it for 30 hours? I, th- I would say that you couldn't get it from 30 minutes, but you could have gotten what I got from it in three hours. Okay. Um, but once you're, since we're talking deep spoilers, once you've opened the top of the mountain mm-hmm. and you go inside it, you do think, and, and again, Matt may know this better than me, but I did think at least that we were moving into the stuff that happens in Portal when you go behind the walls, right. when you see the making, you know, you're behind the curtain or whatever, and you're, you're seeing the, how the machinery is actually made. Because visually, that's the implication. You're seeing, what looks like the manufacturing station for for puzzles. And I thought, oh, so we're going to find out about that. And maybe you do, and I just haven't uncovered that. I just, let's put it this way. I'm somebody who is fine with the fact that the TV show Lost didn't get wrapped up in a bow. Like, I'm okay with not (laughs) knowing the answers to everything. Amen. Amen. So, no, I think that the extension of the game for me, playing beyond that third hour, uh, is simply a continuation of this experience 
um, where video games can simulate an idealized version of the world, a certain rule set or philosophy or sense of fairness or unfairness. And people crave playing certain video games, particularly those with lots of progression in them, because it gives them the reward for my effort feedback that life often doesn't give you. I work hard, but I don't get the raise I want. But in real life, but in video game life, rather, I work hard and I level up in some way. And in this case, I'd say that the the vision of the world that it's presenting is one that as long as you inhabit this world of the witness, then you are at a place in a place where it is safe to not know things and where rather than trying to force your way into attaining knowledge, but instead simply by, by wandering you can learn knowledge. That's what I feel is the condition he's trying to create as an encouragement to live that way in general. You know, Stephen, as someone who only got through Lost through hours and hours and hours of seething hate watching, uh, mm-hmm. I absolutely agree with your assessment. And, and I think it, it really <laughs> does sort of point to why this works for some people and doesn't for other people. Very nicely put. Uh, all right, Matt. Uh, you, uh, there are all sorts of things that I, I know you can say about the game that Steven wants you to avoid because he's still interested in exploring some of this. I'm done with it. Uh, that said, respecting <laughs> Steven's uh, wanting to still explore it, what would you say The Witness is about? And what did you draw from it after 30 hours, or I think in your case 50, 60 hours, that you couldn't have gotten in three hours? Well, first of all, let me say that, Stephen, that was far more eloquent than I'm going to be able to put. So so that, that was wonderfully said. And, uh, yeah, I, I think I told Jonathan when I was speaking to him that I, I prefer the, the mystery to the answer. I hate things that spell it all out. Uh, I didn't like Lost as a, as a TV series overall, but I, I, the, the whole idea that they weren't going to tell you what was going on was never never the issue for me. Um, before I answer that question, Tom, let me just let me get it. Let me give you my elliptical spoiler about the thing that might happen after the thing that I'm not gonna. I don't want to spoil for Stephen. <laughs> okay. I'll do it by way of a question that I asked uh, that I asked Jonathan because I asked Jonathan um, that, that well the same one I mentioned earlier about are you worried people are going to spoil this and one of his one of the answers was the one I already talked about but he gave me a second answer and the second answer was that they had figured out a way to put something in the game that you couldn't spoil, that was logistically impossible to spoil. No one will ever, uh, you know, ever be able to spoil it. Um, and so I can say that, that that is an aspect of the game that I'm now experiencing, and that it... it yeah, I know, Stephen. I know this is it's like a Buddhist. My mind is blown. This is really like a it, Matt. You're, it's it's like some, you're like a Buddhist Cohen Zen master here. You're driving us crazy. Well, here's where I'll wax hyperbolic. So forgive me, please. It's not my uh, tendency as a as a critic to, to to talk like this. But for me personally, it's after everything that's happened. I have like a hundred plus hours into this game now between the two versions. It may be one of the most like magisterial and deft executions of something that I think I've ever seen in a game, in any game that I've ever played. Uh, it's, it's so, and I'm not, I should say, I'm not finished with this thing. Uh, it is an ongoing process. <laughs> so there you go. So there's that. Um, hopefully I didn't spoil too much there, Stephen, but I, I encourage you <laughs> I, to soldier I think, I think on. Tom needs to bump up to bump the review up to three stars after hearing that. <laughs> Come on, give it an extra star for magisterial. <laughs> well, to be to be fair to Tom, I I, I came to this sense of the game after I had written the, re- the review for Time, so I had not experienced this part of the game. Uh, 
when I when I wrote the review for Time, where I was very you know glowing and stuff. But as far as as far as what I think it's all about, uh, I don't think this is a spoiler. It's not in the game. Okay, this is totally not in the game. So do you guys know, Stephen? You might have seen this. I didn't figure this out on my own. I, I just I saw some people talking about it, and and I, I can't imagine it's not. It doesn't relate to what he's trying to say here. We know we know Jonathan is a huge science math guy, very interested in. In, it, very not interested in, in, in as much in like the humanities interpretations of. I mean, interested but not. I think he's drawn more or gravitates more toward toward more of the science math um, stuff. And in mathematics, there is actually a term called the witness. It's a mathematical term, and and here's why I think he has to be referencing it. It is about solving for something. It refers to a game semantic principle in a complex equation. I can't even pronounce the Greek letters I'm looking at here. But it, it's it's about picking it's about verifying the winning strategy for something. The witness. So you guys, you know, you might if you hadn't seen that you might check that out. I thought that was interesting. So I think he's referencing that. And then the other thing, oh gosh, I don't know. Can I is it too much to spoil an audio log? Do you guys think an early one that's not long? No, sure. No, no. I would love to hear your Good. thoughts on the audio Good. logs. Yeah, cuz I yeah. There's there's an audio log um, in the game. Let me just find the, the thing here. Where do, do, did you guys go up? Okay, in the chapel where you go up to the top and there's a windowsill and a bell and there's an audio log there. It's hidden in plain sight or yep. not hidden. It's a quote from Hans Denk and he's a uh, what was he? A 50, 16th century. 50, I looked. I looked. I had no idea who he was. I went and looked him up. 16th century German Reformation figure, and the quote goes something like, "Oh my God, how does it happen in this poor old world that thou art so great and yet nobody finds thee?" And it's basically a you know, the ineffability of God and right. the finiteness of the human mind. So I went and dropped that in, and I found another guy who was writing about him, who, who was talking about his, his theories, and I guess Denk had a theory that there is a quote-unquote witness in every man, and I'm just reading the quote here, it says, he, he who does not listen to it blinds himself, although God has given him originally a good inward eyesight and if you twist around a little bit and you think about it anachronistically it's kind of an eastern uh be still quiet yourself you know go zen in order yeah. to apprehend something so i think that between the two poles there of this uh sort of spiritual and then the scientific thing i think he's making a very interesting ironic point i'm just really saying what steven said here by the way i think i think you said it better steven and more succinctly but that uh, you're saying it, you're saying it well as well. Keep going. Though. If you think about it, it's so fascinating that you know you have a you think about human perception and the limits of being able to you know absolutely know objective reality, and yet he has found a way with the puzzle heuristics to convey objective information. I mean, this is these puzzles don't have. 15 solutions. They've got one solution. I mean, you know, give, give or take a little line that you can go one way or the other. Uh, he has found a language to convey objective information about this world that he's created and then put that on top of an analog, you know, um, sort of interpretation of what you know, spiritualism and, and all of these little other things that you, you know, you're finding. So that's, uh, yeah, I, I think it's, like Stephen said, I think it's about coming to terms Sort of celebrating the, the the incredible things that that we've you know been able to do as a species, but also living with the limitations. And it, it sounds like the end game content that you're exploring, Matt, is kind of just reinforcing and furthering this interpretation, right? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So then, as as someone who uh who who hasn't explored much or probably any of that, Matt, uh, I have to say my answer to 
you know, what is the witness about and what do I get from 30 hours that I can't get from three hours um, goes to, I think, Stephen, you were one of the first to mention it, to say this is a game about learning uh, or, or about, you know, this game is teaching you things. And I want to know, as it starts doing that, what is it going to teach me? And after 30 hours, what I discovered is it's teaching me how it's teaching me. You know, it is, and, and I don't mean that to sound reductive, but it is. It's a tautology. It is teaching me how it's teaching me. And I, I feel like I knew that early on. Um, and I was super disappointed to kind of discover an empty box at the end. I thought it was going to teach me, what is this island? How did I get here? Who am I? You know, what are these statues? Are these people that got turned to stone? Uh, and I think that it was uninterested in that, and that's fair. But I'm so accustomed to playing a game and and thinking, okay, at the end I'm gonna I'm gonna get answers. Uh, and Stephen, your reference to Lost, I think, gets to the heart of it. Is I don't think I don't think uh, the witness really cares about answers. It wants to teach you how it teaches you, and it's fine with that sort of tautological nutshell right there. Uh, but I think uh-huh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, well. The difference between Lost and Witness. Well, first uh, of all, obviously, the, is, the Witness, I think, is, is way like Lost is is just pure uh, cynical entertainment at times. I think. Like, it's I, also I, a narrative yeah. TV show. Right, right, right. So right. I think I, I actually, you know, if people are looking for answers to a, in a narrative explanation of a narrative, then that's a, a perfectly valid thing to be looking for. Uh, that the medium invites that that appetite. I'm suspicious of my or your or anybody's desire to know things about the island that we're on in The Witness, because we bring to the games that we play these days a lot of expectations that I would say are not inherently about gameplay or not inherently about interactivity. Why should a game tell us a story in terms of a text that's within the, the, within the game? Uh, people who play Call of Duty multiplayer have a much better time with it than those who play single player, because for gaming... More times than not, the superior story that's told is that of your push and pull with the interactive systems of the game, not the thing that was written by a Hollywood scriptwriter who came in and wrote some dialogue for voice actors to read to you. So, Tom, do you think that some of the dissatisfaction that you found with the feedback the island was giving you was you applying a standard that maybe a game shouldn't be subjected to if a game is truly judged on its gameplay, first and foremost? That's a fair question, um, and I don't know if this is sidestepping it, but but ultimately what the witness gets to, and I love that it does this, is why I don't use the word fun when I talk about games. You will never find that in a review I'm writing. I think that it's a useless word, uh, and it's, it's a pet peeve of mine. I don't expect other people to, to share this, uh, but for me, you know, Stephen, you mentioned that interaction with the push and pull of systems. Um, for me, that is not... The point. It never is. The point is how I feel during the interaction of that push and pull. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Coen brothers, I think, were once asked about, uh, I think this is Barton Fink. You know, what does Barton Fink mean? And they, you know, they're notoriously elliptical about the way they talk, and they're a lot of dismissive about easy questions like that. And one of them said something to the extent of uh, what it means is how you feel when you're watching it. Um, so if I'm playing Call of Duty, it's very clear how I feel. I'm a badass military dude, and I'm shooting people, and I'm, you know, I'm an action hero, whatever. Uh, 
but that question is important to any interaction with a push and pull of systems. Like to me, the real meat of a game is how does the that interaction, how does the narrative make me feel? Uh, and at times, the witness made me feel super smart. I was super. It's like when a teacher teaches you something and you get it right, and the teacher gives you a gold star. And you're a little kid, and you're like, oh, I loved getting that gold star. That was very gratifying. Um, but the price that I had to pay for getting that those little uh, jolts of, of pride was way too steep for me. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it, it felt in the end like a tutorial in search of a game, and I never got that game, and I've kind of felt deprived because I and know. I, yeah, go ahead. And I think you you were you were if I'm interpreting your review correctly, you felt if I'm going to be if there's going to be this much work put into teaching me something, let that thing be applicable in some way. And it's not beyond the game, right? I mean, right. Unless you're navigating city blocks in some I, weird way. I think Eric, Eric Wolpaw once once wrote, uh, you know, uh, w when the apocalypse comes, what we will have learned from video games is how to play video games. Uh, and that kind of gets to the heart of what's going on at The Witness is it's just going to teach you how to play it. And I – yeah. Can and, I, yeah, go ahead, Matt. Can I just throw this is a this is a little bit of a uh, I think in some ways it's always sounds a little bit like a dodge and and first of all let me also say Tom that I think that's a you know a completely valid approach um, and I could see like I, the thing I love about the way you think about games is that I can see myself even coming to those conclusions you know in a different frame of mind which is partly I think there, you know there we go the perspective thing the frame of mind mm -hmm. as you play the game as I was playing the game as I was solving the puzzles. So much of it was, and, and, and in a weird way, Minecraft is like this for me, okay? I'm not trying to say Minecraft is anything like The Witness, but it's like pruning a bonsai tree. It is like, you know, think about, the, you know, in terms of, of Zen or meditation or um, whatever you want to call personal spirituality. So much of my memory of this game now is not just the lessons I learned. It's this accumulation of the lighting when I was in this area as I spent 15 minutes you know, reasoning through this thing, uh, the way the clouds were positioned in the sky. I mean, there is a, uh, in a way that wouldn't have existed 10 or 20 or 30 years ago in a game, and this isn't just mere, this isn't merely praising the graphics. Um, it's, it's his, the environment that he was able to create for me as I was having these little epiphanies um, was as important to me in defining why I enjoyed the game or you know i might say the fun i was having only in the sense to indicate to you that fun equals liked not to specify what the liking was about but i don't know does that make any sense it does yeah i mean it, it's uh th this is one reason too i really love talking to you guys even though you're you, you love especially because you love the game way more than i do you see here you would try to articulate why it's fun you know what why you enjoyed the feelings that, that it gave you uh do, do you so uh Matt, having gotten through to the end and doing some of the optional content, do you have any understanding of these statues that you didn't have when you first saw them? I I do, and I think that you know, I mean, the safest thing for me be, would be to say, hang around after we're finished. There are some other things I want to tell you, Tom. That okay. uh, I don't want to mm -hmm. say. So well, like Stephen hasn't. One of the statues so. that that you see near the end that I loved this little guy because I totally identified with him. Uh, mm -hmm. I like I love that you see by the way on the mountaintop the statues, and this by the way is another thing I really resented because I felt like. Damn it, Jonathan Blow, you made me think something that wasted hours. Uh, when you get to the mountaintop, 
and you realize, okay, I need to stand somewhere and look a certain way at the feet of the guy doing that when one's holding a box and the other one's like got a leash on him and you have to arrange a puzzle underneath them by looking a certain way through their feet through their legs uh and i got to the point where because i didn't understand that i i I had a misunderstanding about what the puzzle was asking me to do so i thought that i needed to stand somewhere where those those columns were in my way and that at some point I was going to bring the columns down or I was going to destroy them because I then realized all those little vignettes with the statues were people either complaining about or trying to see through the columns um, to get a, a, pers- a perspective on that central point. And I was like, oh, something is going to destroy these columns or something is going to knock them down. I've got to play more on the island and that will bring the columns down. And it, it never happened. That's not what was going on. Um, but at some point, I run into a statue, and I love this guy who is sitting in the heart of the mountain, and he's like holding his head in his hands, and he's got at his, he's got a laptop open, and he's got like scissors and paper that he's been cutting, and it totally was like, oh my god, Jonathan Blow knew that I was going to be cutting up a deck of cards to make physical shapes. Uh, so I loved seeing that little guy, and I felt like okay. Even though I don't like the witness, I, I feel that Jonathan Blow understands what I will have gone through to get to see this little guy right here. Uh, so in closing, I'm sorry because I've held you guys longer than I meant to. I want to ask you both. Um, so there, there is kind of an end, quote unquote, where you get to the, the, the end and it kicks you back out to the screen where you can start again or load a saved game and just explore to your heart's content and discover some of these cool optional things. Um, As soon as I got to that point, I was done with the game. I wanted to specifically talk to you guys to hear what you thought. I wanted to hear spoilers about what did I miss with the optional content. But I needed to debrief. I needed to decompress. So as soon as I hit that title screen where it bumps you back into the beginning, you can play again if you want, I closed the game and I went... And I just got a character up to level 20 in Diablo. Just running around, hacking and slashing, mindlessly doing I, nothing. I saw you doing this, and I was yep. thinking, oh, wait, is that Tom actually playing or maybe somebody nope. else in the that, that was me having just, <laughs> having just finished The Witness and then sitting down for, I don't know, three hours of Diablo doing nothing but killing creatures on normal, by the way, not even making it hard. Uh, <laughs> And, and, and it kind of – I realized after I, I got that out of my system, it was the equivalent of someone who goes to the gym and works out and then eats a box of donuts. So kind of <laughs> – so I want to hear from you guys. The moment you get to that title screen, what was the first thing you did? Uh, and and uh, Stephen, why don't you go first? Uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember uh, – but I have been juggling Diablo 3 with The Witness, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Because they patched the game recently, and I've uh, added some stuff, and I finally had an epiphany about how to play Diablo 3 better. Uh, so I I don't remember, though, if that's what I if, if that's what I jumped to. I I was playing on a pre-release piece of PlayStation hardware they're called Debugs, and that's where you can play games well before they're, I guess, the disc is pressed or the file is ready. And so my thing was, once I hit that, I thought, well, I want to play more, but I don't want to waste my time on this separate PS4. I want to play on the PS4 that I have all my other games on. So I'm pretty sure I didn't go right back in. And trophies, and, right? You uh, care about like getting through and getting no. recognition for your accomplishment and getting your trophies, right? Nope. No. You know, um, cool thing about, you know, the game, what is it called? Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. You guys remember that game? Uh, it was on oh, the yeah. PS4. Yep. Yep. Uh, they, did, they did an interesting thing because they had a review build that you could get 
on your retail PS4 before the game came out, but they removed the trophies from it. So it's possible yes. to have a version of that game on a console that has no trophies when you proceed. And I've yet to really dig into that game because uh, somebody else on the team wound up reviewing it. But I have that version, on my, and I'm excited to play that because yeah, I don't care. That's don't like care yeah, that's like non-alcoholic beer. Why are you playing? <laughs> no, I actually wish I honestly uh, wish Stephen that there was a button I could press that would disable all trophies in all games I would love to just have that taken out of consideration for me because there, there is Tom there is it's called the power button on your Wii U uh, no, you know what? <laughs> Here's no, the thing. they have accomplishments in there. Oh, do Jonathan, they? Oh, I guess. Yeah. Okay. okay. And, and games enough. will have internal achieve- achievements, too. Like Xenoblade Chronicles X, which we've talked about, has all those little optional trophies. Or not, like, oh, you achievements. Mean, you mean everything. You mean across, like, like even the... In- you mean just everything in general, not just, like, the meta stuff that Sony and Microsoft put in there. Well, especially so. that. But, uh, yeah, if I'm given a list of, hey, did you do X, Y, and Z, I naturally feel like, oh, well, I guess I should do X, Y, and Z. Uh, yeah, well, so... Uh, Tom, if you're looking for a game that doesn't really dole out rewards for your effort, <laughs> we might have been talking about it for the last hour. But somebody tweet, somebody's playing the PC version of The Witness. I saw a Twitter exchange with them and Jonathan Blow, and they had asked him, uh, there seem to be achievements missing in the, in the PC version compared to the PS4 version. And he said, no, I actually have the amount of achievements in the PC version that I wanted in all versions of the game. But I guess he was suggesting that Sony needed there to be more. Maybe they have a minimum number of trophies that have to be in the game. And by the way, we I don't know if we've said it much, but uh, to those listening, this isn't a solo project, uh, The Witness. There was a small team of people, so at least some credit to Thecla Incorporated, I think is what they are, which is the, the small indie team that made the game with Jonathan. I feel like yeah. we all can lapse into just praising one person for a video game so rarely. Yeah, he made a he made a good point on Twitter about that. He said something like, if "You're going to see a lot of people saying Jonathan blows the witness, but it, you know, re- reminder, it's it's a team of people that were involved in such it. He spearheaded or whatever you want to call it, but yeah, the, the 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 design of the island. He has a whole thing about how the design of the island is is quite literally the responsibility of of this one woman who came in in the last couple of years and just completely changed everything and and made it what it is today and just. You know, little things like that. So. I, I will say, though, that, that this is one of those games that has a very clear sort of auteur approach. Like, you get the feeling that that Jonathan Blow has a lot of himself in this. It's not like, it, it, you know, when Paul Thomas Anderson makes a movie, he's got hundreds of people who help him do it, but it still feels like a Paul Thomas Anderson project. When you def- refer to it that way, you don't mean to dismiss the efforts of the other hundreds of people. But you sort of want to say this feels like something that has his voice in it, and that's very clearly how sure. the witness and braid feels to me. Is it, it's it's it, it it uniquely feels like his voice, uh, which is one of the things I appreciate about it. Um, all right, Matt. So what was one of the first things? You, what was the first thing you did? And I'm going to guess it was just start over again. But what was the first <laughs> thing you did when you hit that end screen? Oh well, God! When I hit that, the first thing I did, I thought I thought you guys were going to say this, is I panicked. I, I looked at my you know trophy count and it oh. was zero. You know, trophy my puzzle count and it was like zero. And I yeah. go, Oh my God! Did, is the witness going to yeah. force me to go back and do it all over again? And it, it, I did that anyway voluntarily. But you know, I was, I was so relieved when I went to look at the the load screen and oh okay, and then and then it, you know loads you back into the point just just prior, but. Uh, so that was that was my <laughs> yeah and that me too thank you for the reminder yeah that was a panic I was yeah <laughs> well I do like how it does uh, and again spoiler for the very end um, 
it does this this flyover thing, which actually I didn't care. Well, it does this flyover thing where you go up in an elevator and the elevator dissolves and then you do a flyover the island and you have this reverse birth imagery where you're going back into the tube. Uh, and so it kind of makes it clear. It, it does make you wonder about resetting, but it, it's not like I felt like, oh, God, it just canceled and didn't save or something. Because, uh, by the way, I had it crash a couple times on me. It's super good about always saving after a puzzle. I never had to go in and say save game. Uh, I get always remembered where I was. Uh, so when it did that, I wasn't too worried. But, but yeah, it is a little abrupt. Um can I can I can I say this without since we're in the major spoilers ter- spoiler territory and since we've all experienced this I'll say this much I think my theory at this point is that that is absolutely not the end game that's not like like some people will go oh this thing has multiple endings and it means this thing has literally multiple endings they 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 you are changing the the narrative flow of time and you can get different results that's not the relationship of that that thing that thing that that's that thing that happens at the end where you go back to that point. I think is in a way a very elliptical way, you know, of Jonathan Blow saying, "You didn't do it." This, I mean, you oh, did like it, that's, you that's did something. But you didn't do it. That's what Stephen would call the baby ending. <laughs> and, I mean, not. That, I don't. I mean, in that this is the basic. You said, ending. It, was, it, was, you said it was back to the place of birth. There we go. It's got to be the, the baby. Uh, oh my god! I just called the embryonic ending. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> well, on that note, I uh, I thank you guys both for hanging out with me today. Uh, Matt, your coverage is at time.com. I invite people to go there. Stephen, of course, you did the review at Kotaku. Uh, both very provocative uh, reviews. I, I appreciated reading them. And uh, thanks for hanging out and discussing The Witness with me today. 